Well, I've gone back and forth and back and forth with what to talk about tonight. <laughs> I'm trying to pick up on the cues from people, what you know, questions people are asking, and what's uh, coming up in individual discussions and, and all. And um, it seems right to, to focus a little bit more on this teaching of the five aggregates. People seem to be getting a lot out of that, and it's so, I mean, uh, boy, it just uh, for myself. Um, I'll never forget the first time I, I learned about this teaching, which was uh, when I was actually on retreat and reading when I shouldn't be reading. But <laughs> these books came out um, while I was at IMS in 1986 or 87. And they were, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ajahn Jeff, you know, Tan Jeff down in the uh, Metta Forest Monastery. Well, he, he's done a lot of translations of the forest masters, and he had done some translations of um, the teachings of Mahabua and um, uh, two books called uh, Things As They Are and Straight From the Heart. And Mahabua is this kind of, you know, ruthless <laughs> practitioner. And um, he just, you know, went at these five aggregates with a vengeance. And a lot of it, the teaching in this book is, is trying to, is, is explaining his experience of trying to get under and just begin to see what's going on in this whole body-mind process uh, and sort it, sort it out, sort out the levels of suffering, the levels of difficulty in it. So um, I do tend to focus a lot on it in my teaching because I found it to be incredibly, incredibly helpful. And uh, I guess it's, uh, in part, I turn right to the Buddha's first teaching. Uh, you know, when this is a person who's just gotten free, you know, he's just been liberated. And, uh, you know, after he spends some 40 days delighting in that, <laughs> you know, he goes and decides he's going to um, teach and um, offer some instruction to people who he practiced with for so many years. And um, there's, a, there's so much in this teaching, which is the teaching of the Four Noble Truths. But, um, you know, the, the part of it that I want to zero in on is uh, this bit about um, the aggregates. You know, in the teaching, he starts out by saying... Um, you know, there's, there are these two extremes which should be avoided. You know, indulgence and uh, indulgence and sense pleasures and sort of the uh, kind of common practices of the time, which were kind of beating up on yourself. You know, um, and and then he said he goes through this whole litany of what constitutes dukkha. You know, birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, sickness is dukkha, death is, death is dukkha, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Um, Associating with the things that we don't like, being separated from the things that we like, not getting what we want. This is all dukkha. <laughs> I don't think we, we don't need a Dhamma lesson to know that. We're pretty, pretty familiar with that from our own experience. But the, the thing that he says next is what's very interesting to me. It's almost as if he sort of summarizes uh, it all, because he says, in brief or you know, it's almost like in summary, I think he's just saying in brief because it's just, he's not going to say a whole lot about it in this particular talk. But he says, um, the five focuses of the grasping mind are suffering. Or sometimes it's translated as the, the five focuses of identity. The five things that we glom onto, grab hold of, uh, and in that grabbing create suffering. So it's the five focuses of the grasping mind are suffering. And these are, you know, body, feeling, perception, f- 
formations, mental formations, and consciousness. And our practice is very much about beginning to examine this as our experience and to begin to try to see for ourselves that indeed that's what we do. There's this grasping, there's this glomming on to these five things and that in that movement of the mind, it's like there's the experience and then there's this movement of the mind to grab a hold of that experience. And this is partly the, the, form, the formation of self, the sense of self. It's, it's like there's something that moves in the mind and almost claims ownership of those five experiences and identifies with it and, and says, this is who I am. And that's where all the trouble starts. It all, all, it all begins right there. So he's saying in no uncertain terms that, it, it, and this is, this is tricky, but he's saying that this body and mind, and these five things are the body and mind. The first is just the body, then feeling, uh, perception, formations, and consciousness are what constitute the mind. But he's saying that these uh, five experiences are what we experience, indeed. It is what we experience, physical sensation, mental phenomenon, right? That's, I mean, that's the totality of our experience from one moment to the next. Is, you know, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling. That's it. <laughs> you know, as a human being, that's what we experience. So, but they, that is what we experience, he says, but it's not who we are. It's not who we are. But we keep picking them up. We keep picking up this experience instead of just sort of being the experience or if you want to say sort of having the experience and relating to them from this vantage point of self, from this vantage point of me and mine and, and I. And, and that this is a, he says, and I love this language, he says this is a tremendous burden. It's a tremendous burden. You know, he said that grasping is like, the grasping in this way to uh, physical and mental experience is like carrying a big rock. And all we have to do is put the rock down. <laughs> all you have to do is like, it's like you're carrying this big load on our shoulders and all we have to do is lift it up and put it back down. And we need to find a way to relate to this most intimate aspect of our experience the body and the mind, with some semblance of detachment so that we can begin to get a sense of what it is that he's talking about here. You know, my teacher keeps saying to me over and over again when I find myself in some difficult situation, you know, you picked it up, put it down. (laughs) You picked it up, put it down. You know, and that's certainly easier said than done, and he's not diminishing my difficulty, but more to help me get to a place where I can have this proper perspective in relation to what it is that I'm experiencing. So um, I wanted to talk a, a little bit tonight. It's kind of like another story night, you know, stories, practice stories, just to see how this happens, to see how we pick these things up and how we can put them back down. This, so, you know, the, the, the teachings are so valuable in that they're pointers. They're saying, you know, where to look and see... Um, it, it, you know, see where he's pointing and see in your own experience if indeed that is, that is true. And then they, then they become something that you can really use and really work with. So just to see what it's like to pick, a, pick it up, um, 
what it's like to put it back down again, <laughs> that kind of thing. So walking through these uh, aggregates just a little bit. So we have this experience of the body and um, just noticing the experience of the body and how we relate to it is what the, the invitation and the practice is. So, um, you know, and it can be all kinds of things that one picks up and needs to put down. But I just want to give you some crazy, silly little examples that were very, very telling for me. You know, uh, kind of the ways that I began to see it myself. Well, one night I was sitting at the computer, and um, I actually had been sitting at the computer for a long time. And uh, the, it, the window was open, and during the course of the time that I was uh, Working, I hadn't really noticed that many, many hours had passed and that it was night and that it had gotten cold. So I was um, sitting there working away and actually quite absorbed in what I was doing, so I was really feeling quite present. And then this breeze came in the window, and uh, I got chill bumps, you know. And um, there was this experience of being cold. And then instantly came um, this sort of a sense of needing to put on a sweater or needing to put on a... uh, It was really like a felt sense. It wasn't a thought. It wasn't an idea. It's like that, hmm, you know, it's nonverbal. And then right on the heels of that came this um, thought and this chatter, really, that um, said, well, it's not that cold. You don't need to put on a sweater. You know, and I was, wow, that's pretty far out. <laughs> What's that? And then it was like, you know, um, another thought came in about arguing with that one, about you know whether or not I should put on a sweater. And I thought, well, this is amazing. Just just one more. I had a similar experience one time where I had the sensation of having a full bladder and having to relieve myself, and then. Um, this, that happens and you almost start to even move towards the bathroom and then something can come and actually interrupt that with, with a thought like well don't do it now do it later or you know, maybe you, if you're in the car it'll say like keep driving and wait till the next you know whatever next exit or something like that it's like that something comes in and picks that experience up and then um, has something to say about it, and it will start to debate it and argue the merits of doing it, you know. And, and it's like uh, something is, is glomming onto it, claiming ownership of that moment, and then sort of taking control, and, and instead of just kind of follow, settling into nature and following nature. You know, it's like at the, at the purest level, these physical forms, um, they're, like, they're like designed to co- always be sorting out a, a homeostatic condition. You know, they're, they're, when something's off, it, it, something happens to right it, you know. And, and, and that happens, if you, if you begin to watch, that, those impulses happen quite automatically. And that yet they get completely complicated by this thing that gets added on, this overlay. You know, uh, Ajahn Sumedho says, it's ignorance. <laughs> and ignorance complicates everything. <laughs> you know, we just take these simple events 
and make them something that we have to think about and decide about and argue about in our heads. You know, these are very simplistic examples, but you'll see yourself do that in so many other ways with things that are going on with the body. Like it shouldn't be, or it should be, or we need more of, or less of, or something. And really, you know, it's like if we can settle down into the experience of it, life is very organic, and it's kind of like like this feeling like, I think I've talked to you before about like a, a dance, you know? It's just we move through life, and there's a knowing of where to go and what to do and what is needed. Um, Ajahn Amaro gave a really good example of this with the body when he said, like, um, did you ever, you know, find yourself in your sitting meditation and um, maybe during the course of the the sitting, uh, you found yourself slumping over, you know, and little by little the the posture will get lost and there's a, a dreaminess or whatever. You know, we get lost in thought. And then you sort of come to and you find out you're in, you're like this, you know. And he said, well, just like take a moment like that and attend to it. Like bring full awareness to the experience of being in that posture. And watch what happens. You know, it, it, if we just open to the fact of it, don't, you don't have to do anything about it. It's like this begins to happen. You know. The body will just straighten itself out. And just tuning in to the fact that this, that awareness, receiving our experience and attending to things in an open-hearted way, when it comes to the body especially, things will start to sort themselves out. It'll, it'll, it'll find balance. Can you feel that? And, and so, like, you know, the, 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 the thing in practice is to begin to see what happens when we don't let that take its natural course. When something comes in and, you know, this one can be, this can become this huge issue in the mind. <laughs> you know, what an awful meditator I am. I've slouched all over again. You know, oh, this is, this is terrible, you know. And this whole big story will begin when this, which, which really is a sense of self and all of our ideas and views about who we are and who we ought to be becomes engaged in relating it to what it is that's happening instead of just relaxing around it and letting it be and letting nature take its course. We don't need all this mental activity around things that have to do with the body. You know, it, we know when we're hungry, we know when we're tired. <laughs> we know when we've had enough to eat. We know when we've had enough to sleep. You know, this. But this felt sense is something that we, we actually have conditioned ourselves not to tune into, because we're we, this this other thing that thinks it's in charge, <laughs> that thinks it's running the show, is so dominant, and we follow the dictates of. Um, Ideas, really, and views and perceptions about what it is that's going on instead of connecting with the actual experience. So, so practice helps us discern the rhythms of the body. It helps us connect with these quite natural rhythms. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lovely thing. I, 
if you've ever had the experience of overeating or oversleeping or watching too many videos or any of that stuff, then you know the value of being able to connect with that thing in, in, the, in the physical form that actually knows when it's enough. You know, it's there, isn't it? We, we all know it. But we don't have the habit of listening to it or connecting with it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's because we're so preoccupied with uh, some other um, overlay that actually is just notional. It's just ideas. And yet we take that to be more real than our actual experience. You know, so the, so the practice is about kind of tuning in more fully to the actual experience of the physical form and discerning for ourselves this natural rhythm and, and connecting with it. Then, it, then it, it gets to be like this, you know. It's just a, 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 um, the body is alive. It knows how to live. It knows how to uh, survive. So then these, these uh, things can be followed more, more easily. So just tuning into to feeling. We notice and practice the experience of feeling. You know, and what the mind will tend to do with that is pick it up and say something about it and do something about it. There's the experience of, of pleasure and pain happening in every single moment. You know, pleasure pain or neither. And, you know, the mind will grab a hold of that instead of allowing us to just sort of rest in that natural experience and let it take its course. Then something gets added on. So you watch it over time. We can become attuned to the fact that what's going on with pleasure and pain is that like there's this experience of pleasure and we lean into it. There's this, it's like, there's something that feels really good, and then there's this thing <laughs> that, that grabs a hold of it, you know. Or there's something that feels really bad, and there's this this uh, this movement that um, is trying to get away from it. So it, this is what I'm calling. It's almost like this experience of having to do something with it, having to say something about it, having to respond or relate or react to it in some way you know, wanting more or get me out of here kind of uh, experience. And actually what's happening in that is that we're losing the experience of feeling itself. You know, it, it's, it's, it's momentary, it's true, but the actual experience of pleasure and pain get dismissed in that. And this, what becomes greed or hatred, um, a sort of a longing for something or trying to get away from it, takes center stage. It becomes the dominant aspect of our experience. And we linger there. And what we know about these states is that they're suffering states. So you can see where just this uh, inability or to to discern feeling as something that just is is part of being alive. Uh, It's part of this experience of the body and mind. It's not who we are. We don't have to glom onto it. We don't have to push it away. it, It can just have a life and, and uh, without our relating to it in these ways. So you might notice this tendency in very simple experiences. 
I would notice that now you all have your own things that you might go towards or go away from. So I would invite you to maybe think of your own examples. But food is always a good one. You know, most people find they, they can see these experiences of pleasure and pain very easily uh, with food. So one, uh, I was noticing this one time when I was on retreat where um, I would go to the food line for, you know, the main meal of the day. And you could almost, you know, the, the smells uh, and the sights of what it is that was being served that day, you can feel, you know, feel it pull you in. And I would try to, to just kind of stay with the happy feeling, you know, if it was something that I liked. You know, you could you could see this sense of oh man, buttered ginger carrots. You know, so, you know there, there would be this like expanded feeling, this happy feeling in the chest with something that you like. You know, and then the going and getting them, which is appropriate because you got to eat. But I began to notice that it was when it was something that I liked, my hand would always go back and get just a little more. Just a little, like, it might be just two more little carrots, you know, but it it was never one scoop. It was always just a little bit more. And then over time, I would notice that at the end of the meal, when I would try to stop eating when I was full, it always seemed to be that little bit of food that I didn't need, you know. It was amazing to watch it over time. But something came in and uh, participated in this event or picked this event up pick this feeling experience up and um, add it to it. It's like, oh, feels good, get more, you know. Oh, don't like it, push it away. You know, it's amazing to watch it. But this is what, you know, the the practice is trying to get us to to tune in to those moments right there. You can see it happening. And watch the suffering (laughs) start. You know, <laughs> it's right there. It's like, uh, you know, that piggy, greedy feeling, you know, that aversive, hateful feeling. Whereas in, in, in the moment before that, I was really happy. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh, this is great. I like this, you know. But it, it, uh, this is the, the glomming on to um, pleasure and pain. Now, you know, at one level, just going with pleasure and away from pain, it makes perfect sense. And there's a lot of that that is at play in our survival. And, and so it's not to kind of upset the apple cart and make it all wrong, you know. But it's, it's big to, to notice this aspect of it. That movement in the mind is a setup. And it's a, it's a setup in that the, the implication is that there's happiness. There's happiness somehow in getting more. Or there's happiness somehow in, in getting away, getting away from something. And that, that, that that's what is dependent. But uh, we know from our experience as meditators that that's just not true. The anxiety or the discomfort that one feels just in that movement of the mind is enough not to do it. Because that movement of the mind is the state uh, of greed and hatred and delusion, which are suffering states. So that right there is, is enough. But what also you find as you watch it is that um, it can actually go against what we need, what we really need in the moment. 
you know, that movement to get more or that movement to get away from can actually go against what we actually need. And I was watching this one time when I was at the, at the monastery and um, there's this little um, hill that we have to walk up from the nun's cottage to the main house. And um, over the years, you know, I've been going there about 15, 16 years now. I'm getting older <laughs> and less in shape. And that hill keeps getting steeper and steeper. <laughs> and so I, I, I was watching just this last time that I was there that as I began walking up the hill, um, and right at the point that it started to get hard, my whole body contracted. And it was like then walking up the hill from that point was even harder because of that contraction. It was fascinating to watch it. So that, that tendency to push away discomfort in that kind of situation, you can see that it's a good example. It was actually disserving me. It was actually making it harder. It's like the mind is doing, going in completely in the wrong direction for what would actually be, be good for me in that moment. And so I, when I noticed it, I just started to, right at that point when things would get difficult, Inhale and relax and inhale and relax and let all my muscles loosen up and um, try climbing the hill relaxed and not tight. And it was amazing how easy it became, you know, much easier. So sometimes, you know, that's a, that was a really good example for me, um, a, a teacher for me, it keeps teaching me now, you know, about like opening to dukkha, opening to suffering. You know, it's, it's actually, the, the, the tendency is to contract and pull away from it. But it, it's actually much more in, in our interest to open, to receive, to allow that experience to, to, to fill us. To re- and and uh, that opening, that receiving, um, is actually... Uh, the way to the end of the suffering. It actually diminishes it in the moment, but it's also the way to the end of it. So in practice, the idea is to just notice this impulse, you know, and keep noticing it, that this impulse to do something about pleasure and pain. You know, can we, as meditators, relax into these experiences as a risen phenomenon? And in that relaxing into it, we can learn about suffering and the end of suffering because it's right here in this. In the Buddhist teaching on dependent origination, you know, it's very clear that opening to the experience of feeling is the key to freedom. It's the, it's, it's the way out. And yet what we're doing um, in sort of an instinctive way is, is uh, not serving our own liberation. The effort is to open and to move into so that these states of grasping don't happen. That's where the suffering begins. So, feeling. Now, we notice um, the experience of perception, which uh, there's a lot of... This is so huge. 
perception is something we'll probably talk about exclusively all night long. But um, just to give a few examples, there's, there's many things that fall into this category. It, it has to do with um, the tendency of the mind to um, sort of that, that aspect of our mental activity that recognizes, that sort of tries to get a fix on things. You know, it's, um, it's like if you notice when you come into contact with something, um, there can be this kind of uh, uncomfortable uh, period where the, if the mind doesn't quite know what it is that we're seeing or hearing or smelling or what's coming at us, and there can be this mad scramble in the mind to try to get a fix on something. So like if you saw something, a dark shadow coming down the road, you know, and you didn't know what it was, just you just watch what goes on in the mind for those few seconds while it's still trying to get a fix, you know. It's trying to get a clear sense of what it is. So perception includes this, and it includes the tendency um, of the mind to, like, uh, associate with things sort of recognize the recognition uh, aspect of the mind or to, like, take, uh, oh, I know this. It's like that. You know, that tendency. It's, I, I, I understand that. That's, that's just like this. Um, and you see this tendency a lot, um, uh, at least I do, when I'm in conversations with people. It's like, you know, they're saying something, and it's almost like you can't wait for them for the end of a sentence, you know, so that you can jump in and associate with what they're saying. Oh, yeah, 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 that's just like this, you know. I know what you're talking about. That's like this, you know. Very strong tendency in the mind. You know, when you begin to see this, it's like, uh, uh, at least for me, it was like, oh, God, you know, it just is doing that all the time. And you could get this sense of how that movement is actually, it, it, it's painful, it's like it's not staying with the simple reality of things. It's always relating, comparing it to something else, you know, um, looking at it as, oh, it looks like this. And, and instead of just staying with the simple reality of what it is that we're seeing, hearing or smelling or tasting, you know. So, you know, in a way, the practice is sort of about beginning to just connect with the moment instead of this associating. You know, a perception includes like um, memory and um, uh, fantasizing or, or thoughts about the future, you know, which is, uh, boy, this is the one area where we can really get in deep. Um, that, you know, something happens, uh, you see somebody or there's a situation or even just a thought in our mind or some um, uh, physical contact, an image, a sound, a smell, or something. And right away, there's a, there's a remembering about... Uh, it, it might draw, bring up a memory that uh, is related to that. Like, you know, for me, one of the strong sensory associations is with coconut. I had a real strong sensory experience of coconut in Mexico. And every time I smell coconut, it's like, boom, you know, I'm right there on the beach in Mexico. Just like that, you know. Very strong uh, sense of that. And it's, it's not that one wants to, to stop doing that, but it's to begin to notice that activity of the mind in relation to what's happening and how it is that it's pulling us away from experience if we get caught in it, if we don't see it. 
and and our sense of the past just keeps getting reborn and reborn and reborn. You know, and especially if it's a painful past, if it's a difficult past. You know, the the, the sense of the wounds of yesterday just keep getting. We keep breathing life back into them and keep trying to deal with them because one isn't seeing the experience in this moment as the mind is remembering. It's just remembering. This is the thought. It's happening now. It's not like that thing that happened in the past isn't happening. It's the thought that's happening now. And, and uh, you know, the effort in, in practice is to begin to sort of settle into that experience and not go with what gets born out of that. You know, the mind will pick it up, pick up that memory, and there goes that heavy burden. <laughs> there goes that heavy rock. So throw it right back on our back and start carrying it around. So it'll do the same thing with the, the sense of tomorrow. So, you, you know, you can really get a sense um, of how this, uh, this impulse of the mind um, creates a sense of yesterday and tomorrow when really it's all happening right now. It, it's only here. It only ever has been and ever will be here. But because um, of this uh, activity of the mind, which just needs to be seen as something that the mind does, it remembers, it plans, it fantasizes. It's not who we are. It's something that the mind does. And you can watch it and not get caught in it. <laughs> it's like it's amazing. Not that, not that you don't want to throw it all out. It's not that we don't plan. And it's not that we don't reflect. But it's when getting caught in it is a, a uh, suffering state, that's when we want to be able to see it, is to begin to notice this activity of the mind and what it does. It's amazing. And this whole uh, area of perception includes the views and the biases and the opinions that we have about life. And so it, it, it has... Um, uh, sort of an external aspect. It's like we have a lot of ideas about the way things are and the way things ought to be. You know? And um, one, if one doesn't see those simply as ideas, then you know, these are the things that wars are fought over. <laughs> you know, and and not, not to mention the internal battles that will get created uh, in ourselves. You know, that we have one of the worst things that we do is have a lot of views and ideas about the way we ought to be. So that when we're not that way, then this huge um, suffering state will get born. It's like, what's wrong with me? I should, I've been meditating for 15 years. I should be beyond this. You know, I should know better. This whole uh, idea of like uh, a right way to be. What's the right way to be? And we all do this, you know. And it will appear in the moment in simple exchanges, but it appears in a big way in our lives. There's a, there's a right way to be. And we ought to be that way. And when we're not being that way, then something needs to be done about it. Instead of just seeing that the mind has ideas about things, it has biases, it, it has views, and one can actually begin to relate to this. And who knows where these come from? I mean, I've uncovered some 
uh, as I w- watch these experiences in my mind, that uh, I have no idea where I got these ideas, views about life and the way it ought to be. But uh, I bought, I, I, they're just highly conditioned so that when they come up, one doesn't even question them. You just act on them. And they can be a source, that right there is a source of a lot of suffering, but there's no telling what we'll do when we act on our biases and views unquestioningly. So in, in one area that I've looked at a lot in this uh, uh, um, perception and, and view uh, aspect of mental activity is just this tendency to um, project, to form projections um, uh, that are really, it's like somebody says something. How many times have you had this experience where somebody says something and you um, determine what it is that they mean by that without asking them, you know, and then um, create this whole uh, relationship with them that's really born out of a, a projection of our own sense of what it is that we think they meant by that or what it would have meant if we said it, you know, or perhaps uh, relating to it from the past, from a, an experience where if, if we were treated like that in the past, then therefore we must be being treated like that again. You know, it's a huge, I mean, as I've examined this in my own life, I'm beginning to to get a sense that I don't know if I've ever actually um, experienced what anybody is or says or does with any kind of purity, you know, (laughs) or any kind of clarity at all. It, It all seems to be going through this perceptual filter of mine and then being spit out, and then that gets taken as reality. That's real. Yeah. When it's just my view of what it is that I think just happened. You know, so you can see the, the value of, of uncovering these tendencies in the mind to, to, to actually be able to be relaxed enough and uh, settle back enough in our experience to, to, to notice that happening and to see it as mental phenomenon. It's like, not mine, not yours, not anybody's, just a risen mental phenomenon that I can know, but it's not who I am and I don't have to be it. I can be aware of it, you know. So you, you sort of, you know, over the years of practice, beginning to take this kind of um, new relationship, new vantage point in relation to that. From the vantage point of self, it's a, everything is a huge problem. <laughs> it's like it picks it up and has something to say about it and something to do about it, and um, it's a big problem. And then it becomes something that self has to get rid of, which it doesn't realize that it just created it. It just made it all up. But this is, I mean, this. The, the more I practice, the more I realize that this is where I am most of the time. You know, this is where I live. <laughs> It's like, you know, to say that we could snap out of it is a big order. And uh, I think we're probably caught up in attachment to this body-mind process, you know, 99.9% of the time. And that, that might be generous. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. It, it begin to see it. Begin to get a sense of this and, and find some way to relate to it um, 
from a lot more of a detached perspective. Um, I had a lot more I wanted to say, but I don't want to. Uh, I know some people were, uh, uh, you know, have schedules and, and want to get going. So um, perhaps I should I should pretty much leave it there. But let, let me just see. This is um, yeah, just to invite you to uh, look into this. I mean, the, 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 I, I see so many of the Buddhist teachings as pointers. It's like, you know, it's, I almost see him standing at a big blackboard with a stick, you know, and he's pointing at, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I promise you, if you just look, you'll see. You know, the whole invitation of the practice is come and see for yourself. Just point the pointer at these experiences and, and be still, be relaxed, settled, attend to them from this detached perspective and see if you don't see uh, see this all for yourself it's like it's it's the way it is and it's there for the seeing and in the seeing is uh, the freedom so I, I hope this is these thoughts are helpful for you with your practice tonight yeah